Our gospel reading this morning is from the 12th chapter of St. John. Now, six days before the Passover, Jesus and his disciples came to Bethany. It's the home of Lazarus, of his sisters Martha and Mary, Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There, they gave a dinner for Jesus. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with Jesus. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. What a special day today is, huh? We're so excited for, um, for this congregation, for Lori and James, for the partnership that we share and the friendships we will form uh, over time. We are so thrilled to have you all, and as Ricky mentioned earlier, so thankful to have your friends and family with us today, too. It's just a great celebration for us all. I, this is not about me, but I will tell one story. Uh, Thirteen years ago, when I was right before I was being installed, I was invited to... Um, Franco and Brenda Goodman's house to watch the final four. Uh, <laughs> remember that, Franco? And I, I'm telling you, I was nervous. Franco, as it turns out, is a big Duke fan. I'm a North Carolina fan. I kept that on the download for many years, but now I think all of you all know that. Um, but I kept thinking the whole time, because Carolina was playing, I kept thinking, I, I could ruin it all. Just, I mean, I, I can get a little bit excited during games, right? And, and I just kept worrying that I was going to say something or do something that might make them reconsider this call to St. John's. Well, irony of ironies, last night, James sat with us in the game to watch North Carolina play Duke. James, a Duke fan, and me, a Carolina fan. And the whole time I'm thinking, just keep your mouth shut. Just... <laughs> Just keep it down, right? I don't want to ruin this before it gets started. Now, some of you all know that um, years from now, you have to walk with me years from now, um, Coach K died and went to heaven. He met, he met God at the pearly gates, and God was so excited to see him and said, oh my goodness gracious, this is just an exciting day for all of us. I want to show you around heaven. I want to show you to your new home. A new home, yeah, all, everyone gets a new home uh, in heaven. So he walked in through the streets, streets of gold, and and he showed them this beautiful, cute little house, three-bedroom, two-bathroom house with, you know, with with his name on on the mailbox. It was just lovely, and he was so excited and felt so privileged and honored, you know, to be there. But then he looked down the road, and, and he saw this other house, huge house, and it had, like, light blue shingles on the top. And, and it had a North Carolina flag hanging out from one of the windows. And this was an enormous home, a mansion, really. And, and then he, they got, walked a little closer, and it had a picture of Dean Smith and Roy Williams on the mailbox. And, he, and finally, Coach K looked to God and said, now, hang on just one second. I mean, I, I, I respect, you know, what's going on here, except 
And, you know, I did win more games than anybody else in history. And I've been to, what, I don't know how many Final Fours and ACC championships and all the rest. So why does Dean Smith get a house like this and I get a three-bedroom next door? And he said, oh, no, 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 no. That's not Dean Smith's house. That's my house. Uh, (laughs) let's pray Lord God we thank you so much for today for your peace for your presence but most especially that you've gathered us together and now for this moment of hearing your word uh, so that we can bear that word and share that word for the sake of the world in Jesus name amen I once performed the marriage ceremony of a young lady who grew up at our church in Virginia. Her name, as Krista will remember, is Winifred. Winifred was always one of our favorite. Her, Winifred's wedding was to be in October at a pre-Civil War estate in Leesburg, Virginia. A perfect site for a wedding. I mean, it was right at the peak of fall color. It was just going to be gorgeous. I've shared this story with almost every person that I've married before, by the way. Except that the forecast called for rain. And not just a little bit of rain, I mean torrential downpours. It was going to be a mess. And this is a fully outdoor wedding. We hoped the forecasters were wrong, but they weren't. When we arrived, the ground was already sopping wet, and the estate manager sympathetically shared the bad news. I'm sorry, but the wedding is just going to have to be moved indoors. Everybody looked around indoors. What does that mean? And, And so that meant the carriage house, also known as a barn. Inside the barn was one light in the middle of the room. We'll do the best we can, we promise. Well, here's what I love about that story. As I reflect back on that potential catastrophe, I hardly remember the rain. And sure enough, it was a downpour. Make no mistake about it. I mean, the hymns of the bride and bridesmaids' dresses, they were just layered in mud as they had to make their way from the barn to the main house. Her hair was flattened. Shoes were stuck in the mud. It was a mess. But Winifred was as calm as she could be the whole time and as happy as I had ever seen her. When it was all over, I received a letter from Winifred uh, that thanked me for, and this is a quote, the wedding she had always dreamed of. She was serious. I've never been happier in my life, she wrote. Here's the lesson. Some folks just get it, right? Winifred understood what was most important that day, getting married. As it turns out, getting married to her true love, celebrating with family and friends, the blessing of God. When, when we were crammed into that barn and we were shoulder to shoulder, I asked if she still wanted to share communion. She had asked me weeks before um, to share communion that day. She would serve the bread. Her husband would serve the wine. Uh, she said to me, well, of course. It's the first thing I want us to do as a married couple. Some folks just get it. Today's gospel is the wonderful story of someone who just gets it, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. It's from John chapter 12. I'd love for you to open up your Bibles or your bulletins once again to take a look at this very beautiful, lovely story. A picture of this story, by the way, is hanging outside of, of uh, or in our office area in the, in, um, the other building. love for you to stop by and see it. It's, it's beautiful. But here's the setting. Verse, <coughs> verse 1 tells us, that they're the home of Lazarus, 
uh, and Mary and Martha in a town called Bethany, which is just a few miles from Jerusalem. In fact, it's on the way to Jerusalem, and sure enough, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Keep that in mind. Lazarus was a guy, as you might recall, from John chapter 11, because we read it at so many funerals. Uh, he's the guy that Jesus has raised from the dead uh, in, in that previous chapter. He had been buried for four days. Why does that matter? Well, it matters because the body has already started to decay. In fact, chapter 11 tells us that it has started to smell, to stink. In other words, he was dead. This wasn't an accident. He wasn't sleeping. He wasn't sick. He was dead. But Jesus, as we know, is the one who conquers death. So he stood in front of Lazarus' tomb. All the village folk are gathered all around, um, and Jesus says dramatically, Lazarus, come out. And maybe you know the rest of the story. Uh, seriously, it's a dramatic moment. I mean, it reads that way, and you can only imagine if you were present how it would be a dramatic moment. And so, not a surprise, Mary and Martha, and of course their brother Lazarus, who's the recipient of this miracle, they decide to throw a thank you party for Jesus. And around the table that day, this is several days later, around the table were Jesus, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, and some of the disciples, including Judas. So, that's the setting. But here's what's interesting, I think. When Mary, or when Jesus sits down, Mary reaches up. This isn't really in the Scripture, but it's pretty much, I'm sure, exactly what happened. Mary reached up on the shelf and carefully pulled down a jar, a jar that was filled with fragrant, expensive oil, something called nard. Now, maybe others who were visitors would not have necessarily known what was in that jar, but everyone who was part of that household knew exactly what it was. It was expensive because it came from the Himalayas, worth the yearly wage of an average Palestinian worker, which means it's not cheap, right? And it's not to be wasted. As it turns out, lots of Jewish families have this similar kind of thing, a similar bottle of nard, and they'd keep it in a very safe place, thus up on a tall, high shelf, right? Why? Well, they would use it on, only on very special occasions, but also at the burial of loved ones when they would anoint the body with this fragrant oil that would, well, hide the smell, right? So, you can imagine that the room fell silent. Whenever they began to see Mary make her way to the, to the, to the shelf, and whenever she reaches up to this, this jar, you can only imagine that everyone in the room is, is wondering, what, what is she up to? What is Mary doing? Has she lost her mind? And then she takes this jar of oil, she kneels before Jesus, removes the covering from her head, from her hair, pours the oil on His feet, and then wipes those feet with her hair, her own tears of thanksgiving mixed with the oil itself. It was beautiful, don't you think? But also outrageous. Uh, Judas finally breaks the silence and says something that probably a lot of folks may have been thinking at that moment. He said, Mary, what are you doing? <laughs> come on, Mary, you've chosen the most expensive oil in this whole house. Uh, you could have sold it for more money than any of us even have and, and given it to the poor. Don't, don't you know what you're doing, Mary? But Mary kept wiping his feet, anointing them with the household's most treasured possession. You see, some folks just get it, don't they? Mary, yes. Judas, maybe not. But I have to admit to you as I read this story, and, and pretty much all, always when I read this story, 
I don't know, I, I feel a little guilty because I sort of identify with Judas's comments, just being honest. I mean, I'm a pretty practical guy. I grew up in a household where my dad, my mom always taught us not to be wasteful, and in particular, never to be wasteful of the church's money. My dad was a pastor himself, and so we just knew always that we wanted and needed to be good stewards of our resources, practical, cautious, never extravagant. So, come on, what's wrong with Judas's comment? I mean, he sort of has a point, right? Now, Now, come on, strip away all that we know about Judas, because none of that has happened yet. We don't yet know about the issue of betrayal, um, et cetera. Just try to think of him as one of the disciples. Wasn't he just being sensitive to the poor? Wasn't he just being a good social justice warrior? Wasn't he being a good steward that day? I mean, isn't he a good guy here? And yet Jesus says to Judas, you just don't get it, do you? Which brings us to an important question today. What is it that Mary gets and Judas doesn't? And I'd like to spend just a little bit of time on that question because three things come to mind, things that I think are perfect words of advice, as it turns out, for Pastor Lori and for Pastor James as they begin this call. But likewise for all of us, um, important words of advice for all of us as we navigate our way uh, through this new world that we're all living in, and we know that we are, right? This, this beautifully unusual world, this hypersensitive world, this hyperjudgmental world, but also this hyper-exciting world that we're living in right now. So let's let Mary, at least for a few moments, let's let Mary be our guide. Why? Number one, Mary understood her why. She understood her purpose. Think about it. Why were they there in the first place? It's sort of obvious. They were there to say thanks to Jesus for raising Lazarus, Mary's brother, for raising Lazarus from the dead for this gift of new life, which, as it turns out, is why I'm here. Is it why you're here? Rob, is it why you're here? It's why we're all here, isn't it? It's why we open up the doors of this church every day of the week. It's why German immigrants built this place 275 years ago. It's why your parents and grandparents paid off this incredible facility during the Depression, as it turns out. It's why you hire a staff. It's why we built the Child Development Center. It's why we're broadcasting online every week so that we can celebrate the profound love of God, so that we can say thanks to Jesus for this gift of new life now and in the life to come so we can spend time with Him, sit at His feet, savor every word that He has to say. That's why we're here. Now, sure, I get it. I know that the church can oftentimes get sidetracked more times than I'd like to admit, caught up in controversy and disagreement, a lot of petty stuff sometimes. We Christians do the same thing when we concern ourselves more with winning an argument than winning the kingdom, to which Mary says, don't forget your why, please, to remember that the reason we're here is to celebrate the deep love of Jesus and to be formed in such a way that we likewise will share that love. We will embody that love for the sake of the world. Don't forget your why. Number two, Mary, as it turns out, was able to see the big picture. I'm sure many of you have heard this story. There once was a traveler who came upon three men working with stone. He was curious as to what they were doing, what they were up to. So he approached the first worker and he asked, what you doing? The man grumbled and said, well, what do you think I'm doing? I'm a stonemason. I'm cutting stone. 
Traveler approached the second guy, asked the same question, and without even stopping his work, the guide said, oh, come on, man, I'm just making a living, right? The traveler was still curious, so he approached the third worker, what are you doing? Stopping for a moment, the worker stared at the stone in his hand, and he looked skyward as the traveler's eyes drifted upwards, and he said, I'm a stonemason, sir, and I'm building a cathedral. Some people are able to see the big picture, aren't they? Well, that was Mary. I mean, she had been following Jesus for a while, as it turns out. They had become friends. She had listened to every word that He had to say. He had told them what He was doing, as it turns out. This was not a surprise that He's on His way to Jerusalem. I mean, she knew what was coming. The others did too, sort of, but didn't necessarily get it. He's going to Jerusalem. There, He's going to be arrested, tried, and put to death. But that three days later, He's going to be raised again from the dead. It was confusing. It was mysterious. All of the above. But Mary got it. This simple, quiet woman from Bethany, she understood the big picture, which is why she didn't hesitate to kneel before Jesus and honor Him in such a beautiful, outrageous way that didn't make sense to anyone else, but it sure did make sense to her. What big picture is God inviting you to see today? Number three, Mary checked her ego at the door. Now, I know this one's tough, right? Especially in this world of great egos. It's a hard one, but it's interesting. While others sat at the table, where was Mary? Kneeling before Jesus. Keep that in mind, right? Our business manager, Ruth Ann, has a favorite phrase. She says this, do you show up to each new day with a bib or an apron? a bib or an apron, in a world that's desperate to have the last word, the best post, the perfect image. It's striking to me that Mary just doesn't seem to be concerned about any of those things. I first met this man named John Sadhukumar several years ago when I was on a mission in India. He was the guy unloading our luggage from uh, into his friend's vehicle at the airport. And then this guy, John, crawled into the trunk of the car so that there would be room for the rest of us, the five of us, in the car. Oh, and did I mention that John was actually the bishop of the Anglican Church of South India? <laughs> John, he knew what it looked like to, to wear an apron sitting in a, in a trunk. John learned his humility, as it turns out, from a great source, his father, he grew up uh, members of the Brahmin class in India. That's the highest caste system in India's hierarchy. They were, they were Hindu. They were well-respected. They were exceedingly wealthy. But when John was 12, his dad decided to abandon the faith of his ancestors and to become a Christian. The trouble is, in that system, if you were to convert to Christianity, they would immediately lose their status in the Brahmin class, and they would become members, as it turns out, of the Dalit class that's the untouchable class, ostracized from his family, likely to lose his job. John's mother decided not to convert, but John and his father were baptized together, as it turns out, at a Lutheran church in Chennai when John was 13 years of age. The, the power of John's example and of Mary's too is that they fully recognize, fully, deep in their heart and soul, fully recognize the gift Jesus has given to us, and that's what mattered more than anything else. Status, privilege, wealth, none of that. What mattered more was the great gift 
the, the immeasurable gift, the, the, the most costliest of all gifts that had been given to them, a great gift of sacrifice, His very body and blood. He, he stepped down from this heavenly realm because we were dying here on earth, as it turns out. He became human because we were trying to be God. He went to His death without, without protest. He carried His own cross. He gave His all without requiring anything whatsoever from you or from me. Mary got it, which is why she knew deep inside that this expensive container of oil on the mantle could be used for something far more profound than she had ever imagined. So, she went to the shelf. She pulled it down from its place of honor. She knelt before this simple man, and she slowly poured it onto his feet It's the least that she could do for a man who would within days give his life for her. She wasn't trying to earn his favor. She was simply saying, thank you. Lori and James, as you begin this new call, but as you step into each and every day of your lives, may those words be at the core of who you are deep words, deep hearts of thanks for who God is, for who God has always been, and who God always promises to be. And may that be true for all of us. As we enter into this new journey together, may we, people of God, be filled with great thanksgiving. Amen.